We're going to continue in any case today with the cities of refuge. And we'll come to that in a moment and just get out Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. I'll read a few verses there in a moment. I, I don't know whether you were uh, listening to the Sunday program today, but they were talking about the book of Revelation. And some church up in Cambridge is doing a, a series of video clips and things about the book of Revelation. But on the program it said that Luther apparently thought that it shouldn't be in the Bible. And Calvin never did any commentaries on the book of Revelation. Which is surprising really when you think of it, where maybe it's not. And of course the Archbishop of Canterbury, he thinks it's the ramblings of a deranged mind. But what put, my, put that into my head was the fact that I went over to uh, Paul Ruel and spoke to some of the Methodist ladies on Tuesday. And it was a very enjoyable time actually. Lovely, lovely ladies. But I picked up a couple of uh, leaflets while I was there. It's held actually in the Anglican Church. The Methodist Church is, uh, has been sold, I think, uh, because there, were nobody, there was nobody attending. There were very few, and also it needed a lot of work done to it. But one of the booklet things that I picked up was one about the environment. Now everybody's on about the environment and you'd have thought that the environment was the gospel if you read this leaflet. It's become so important in churches and elsewhere the environment. You know God put man in charge of the earth. There's no doubt about that. To use it and not to abuse it. And we're glad when we have clean air and clean water all the, the, the environmental laws of reasonable laws which have been brought in but the environment is never or should never be the focus totally of the child of God you know we read through the New Testament from right through we can't see a hint within the New Testament of supporting the environmental lobby. The main focus of the Christian life and emphasis should be on the great commission which the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples and to, to us. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. To snatch sinners from the judgment which is coming. And that's, the, that's what should be our motivation. And, you know, we all know the, the, the Great Commission so well. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And we, we teach them, we make disciples of them, and then we baptize them, and then we go on to teach them the doctrines of the Scriptures teach them all things Jesus said that I have commanded you but man has changed his emphasis from the gospel of Jesus Christ which Paul sets out in Corinthians 
to the gospel of the environment. There's no doubt about that. That's what's happening. And yet, you see, these a lot of these people are trying to prepare the world for the coming again of Jesus Christ when he sets up his kingdom. Kingdom, now theology. And yet, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, sets out in great detail the judgment which is to come upon this earth. And it will be a total environmental disaster. And I thought I'd read a few passages from Revelation just to, to, to bring this point out and to help us realize that there are things in Scripture which point to a serious environmental disaster which will yet come upon the earth. Revelation 8 we read just a few verses from chapter, from chapter 8 and verse 7. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of trees was burnt up and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed, and the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters, and the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became wormwood, and many men died of the waters, because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for the third part of it, and the night likewise. Now go on to chapter 16. Read just verses 3 and 4 and verses 8 and 9. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And everything and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues and they repented not to give him glory now go on to uh, verse 16 and verse 18 and then 20 and 21 and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great and every island fled away and the mountains were not found and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven every stone about the weight of a talent that's about nearly, uh, nearly a hundred weight 
And men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Here we have the book of Revelation describing the judgment to come. It will be a total environmental disaster. So we just need to get things into perspective uh, regarding the future of this earth. One other thing which came in just today actually. Prince Charles, you know he's been in Indonesia. Prince Charles met the hereditary sultan of the Indonesian city of Yogyakarta to discuss world government, to discuss politics, no, to discuss interfaith dialogue. He met him on Tuesday in his final major stop on a five-day visit to the country, reports him. This sultan and other members of the royal family, he met them at the palace in the city on Java Island. This came from the Antara News Agency. Now this sultan, who is running for president next year, is regarded as semi-divine by many Muslim Javanese, whose Islamic faith is mixed with earlier Hindu and animist beliefs. So Charles there, who's going to be the keeper of all faiths, is living up to his uh, reputation. Unbelievable, isn't it? It's all pointed so vividly to what's going to happen. One world church, one world religion, new world order. Now, we don't have an awful lot of time today. <coughs> so we get straight down to Deuteronomy chapter 19. We suggested a few things last week uh, that we think about this week. <coughs> Some homework it was. Who were the inhabitants of these cities of refuge? And the concept of the fact that who killeth his neighbour ignorantly? How does that apply to us? And especially in relation to the death of the Lord Jesus, how it applies to us in the present day. We'll look at those in a few minutes, hopefully. Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 19 just to remind us of what we're talking about. Reading from verse 2. Thou shalt separate three cities for thee in the midst of thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Thou shalt prepare thee away and divide the coasts of thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to inherit into three parts that every slayer may flee thither. And this is the case of the slayer which shall flee thither, that he may live. You saw that last week, the whole object was that they were to live. Whoso killeth his neighbour ignorantly, whom he hated not in time past. Give us an example, sort of. For instance, when a man goeth into the wood with his neighbour to hew wood, and his hand fetcheth a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the, the wood from the shaft, and lighteth upon his neighbour that he die, he shall flee unto one of those cities and live. 
lest the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him because the way is long and slay him whereas he was not worthy of death inasmuch as he hated him not in time past wherefore I command thee saying thou shalt separate three cities for thee and if the Lord thy God enlarge thy coast as he hath sworn unto thy fathers and give thee all the land which he promised to give thee unto thy fathers condition was that if thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them which I commanded thee this day to love the Lord thy God to walk ever in his ways then shalt thou add three cities more for thee beside these three that innocent blood be not shed in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and so blood be upon thee but if any man hate his neighbor and lie in wait for him and rise up against him and smite him mortally that he die fleeth unto one of these cities then the elders of his city shall send and fetch him thence and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die thine eye shall not pity him but thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with thee all set out very clearly and we would say a very sensible law we mentioned last week the verses in Hebrew chapter 6 where it says we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil we saw that it is only by fleeing to Jesus the only way that we have a consolation, a comfort, and a hope for the future. The refugee had a strong consolation once he rested within the city walls of the city of refuge. Before he entered the city, he was under impending judgment, but he fled for refuge, and his situation changed completely. He now was free within that city. He had comfort and consolation, as it says in Hebrews. And it says he had a hope, a living hope for the future. What a wonderful picture of the Christian who has fled to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Can you imagine someone saying to the refugee in that city, you're presumptuous. How do you know that you're safe. People say that. I was, I was interested actually in the prayer that they said for the Queen at the uh, memorial service in the Albert Hall. And bring her, and they prayed that they would bring her to uh, her eternal rest or something in the future. There was no, there's no security, no confidence in many of these prayers, set prayers that they pray, there's no confidence that they have eternal life. That was the whole reason why John wrote his gospel and his epistle, that men may know. But 
they would have said, that this said, you're presumptuous. How do you know that you are safe? And his answer would obviously be, I have the word of God. God has said it. It must stand. And that's all I need. And for you and me, you know, perhaps we have moments of doubt. Then like this refugee, remember, God has said it. I'm safe because I'm sheltered by Jesus' precious blood from the wrath of God which is upon men. Now, let's look for a moment at the cross of Jesus Christ. In Luke 23, we read from verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And God his Father answered this prayer by answering, God took into account that this act of the Jewish people was done in ignorance. Now, look at Acts chapter 3. Let's see Peter speaking. In Acts chapter 3, after Pentecost, Peter stood up and he preached. And he addressed the people. And the Holy Spirit, through Peter, reveals this wonderful truth as regards those Jews who crucified and called out, crucify him, crucify him, we have no king but Caesar, and all that. 13, verse 13. Peter says, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his Son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One of the just, and desired a murderer, to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong the man who had been healed by, by Peter who had stood at the gate sat at the gate beautiful yea the faith which is by him that's by Jesus hath given this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, this is the important bit, I wot that through ignorance you did it, as also did your rulers. And then Peter goes on to offer them peace and safety from judgment. He goes on in verse 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. We, we'll just stop there. Repent therefore 
You did it out of ignorance. And then he was opening up a way of escape for these people who had done this in a state of being unaware. What a, a wonderful message of hope for these slayers of innocent blood. You get the picture? They could flee to the Lord Jesus Christ as of old the, the man who had slain in ignorance by mistake could flee to the city of refuge Peter was saying the same thing to these people here you killed the prince of peace the, the lord of life but you did it in ignorance therefore you can turn now to him for refuge for peace you can flee as it says in Hebrews for refuge but look at the difference if you go on a few chapters to chapter 7 of Acts we have the situation with Stephen here Stephen addresses the elders and he's very hard on them and these elders still rejected the truth still rejected the Lord Jesus Christ to them they had not done this in ignorance they're the ones who should have known they're the ones who were the religious leaders they should have been anticipating and teaching the people to anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and look at verse 51 he says you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did so do ye which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and they have slain them and showed before the coming of the just one of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Oh no, he wasn't saying they had done it in ignorance. They knew. Therefore they were murderers. And that cut them to the quick. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed upon him with their teeth. For them, as willful murderers, there was no refuge, no strong consolation, no hope to cling to. And they vent their rage upon Stephen by stoning him. And going back to Acts 3, we see an interesting thing in the statement by the Holy Spirit through Peter in verse 22 and Moses truly said unto the fathers a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you and it shall come to pass that every soul 
which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people oh yes there were two types here those who had slain the Lord Jesus Christ or who had been party to it in ignorance and those who had slain the Lord Jesus Christ out of willful malice the prophet spoken of and promised in Deuteronomy 18 which we saw a few weeks ago becomes the crucified one in Acts 90 in Acts in, in, in one of, of Acts the slain one but he was slain in ignorance by the people, the people uh, Peter says the solemn warning by Peter to those who reject this prophet the Lord Jesus Christ they shall be destroyed from among the people what a solemn message this was that Peter was telling the people uh, this day soon after Pentecost you know when the Lord Jesus came and was crucified it changed the position of Israel Israel now became in character a manslayer in ignorance the people of Israel became a manslayer but a manslayer in ignorance but because of that because of that because of that Israel forfeited all right to dwell in peace in the inheritance which God had planned for them you see going back to Deuteronomy when the manslayer became one who had slain in ignorance he couldn't stay in his inheritance he couldn't stay where in the land that God had provided for them he had to move away he had to flee to a city of refuge similarly Israel is under the judgment of God until they recognize him someday as the Messiah or they flee to the land the city of refuge do you understand this? those of Israel who responded to the message of Pentecost and those who still respond to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Messiah has come and that he is their saviour they come they come into the blessings of Jesus Christ who they flee to for refuge the manslayer he fled to the city of refuge and there he obtained peace and consolation and hope and life but you know those who flee to Jesus Christ not because they can claim anything from their pedigree you know the Jews love pedigree they love their, their genealogy but once they come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ 
doesn't matter because their inheritance is gone. They always like to know their, their pedigree. That was their pedigree once they lived in the land. Their pedigree was so important they couldn't become priests. They couldn't do certain jobs unless they came from certain tribes. But once they come to Jesus Christ, the only basis on which they come to Jesus Christ is the same basis as you and me. They come to him for refuge. They come as refugees. And that is the hope that Peter presented to the Jewish nation when he spoke to them at Pentecost. God's judgment is still upon Israel. Their only hope is in a city of refuge. And that type is in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has opened to them a way of escape. Which is heavenly. It's a refuge. When everything on earth has failed. They are under the judgment of God as a nation. But they still have that hope to flee to Jesus Christ. And that is what Hebrews 6 means. Do you remember the verses in Hebrews 6? And you know, Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. <laughs> That's why it's called the book of Hebrews. And it brings out all the points about Christ and being the high priest and all the rest of it. It's all typology explained in Hebrews to Hebrews. And that's why we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. These Jews who had become Christians had fled to Jesus Christ as the slayer had fled to the city of refuge they had fled to Jesus Christ. And they came to that to him, and they cannot claim any pedigree. They're coming there, stripped of everything. They've come as a refugee. You know, when a refugee arrives in England, uh, it doesn't matter what he was or how important he was when he left his his homeland. He has to come stripped of everything in order to get in as a refugee. When we come as a refugee to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is on his basis, through grace, through faith, not of works. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, come to thee can't remember foul I to the fountain fly wash me saviour or I die that's how we come to Christ no, nothing of myself I'm a refugee and of course the death of Christ has opened for us and for all mankind a way of escape Now this, there's something else just before I close. There's something which we have pressed home many times. 
we must look always to our heavenly inheritance. Once the refugee got into the city, he couldn't live in his earthly inheritance. It was gone as far as he was concerned. If he went outside the city, judgment was upon him. Inside the city, he had a new life. His old inheritance was gone. We, when we come to Christ as our Saviour, our connection with the earth, with the world, is gone. Our inheritance now is a heavenly inheritance. Paul wrote in Philippians, Philippians 3:17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, and this is something I noticed just yesterday. What is their main problem? Who mind earthy, earthly things. Who mind earthly things. Their minds were not on heaven. They mind earthly things. For our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven from whence we also look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Earthly things. The Jew in the city of refuge, just to repeat it again, his inheritance outside that city was gone. If he went back out there, he was under judgment. Our inheritance in Christ Jesus, our refuge, is not earthly, it's heavenly. And you know, they gave an example, going back now to, to Deuteronomy, chapter 19. The example that was given of the man who went out to cut wood. And he had, he was cutting the wood, and the head fell off the axe and hit the fellow beside him and killed him. We have a picture of a man here working very hard. However, the axe flew off the end. He was using a faulty axe. And it kills his neighbour. There seems no doubt that he was earnest but the tool he was using was imperfect. It was imperfect. And you know how often we see in churches today and throughout the Christian era men, although earnest and zealous in what they were doing have led many astray by using faulty instruments by teaching error 
carelessly applying error and truth together and destroying people around them. You know, Paul, when he wrote to first in First Timothy, he wrote a letter to, to Timothy. First Timothy chapter one and verse thirteen. He says, talking about himself, I thank, go to verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy. Why? Because I did it ignorantly, in unbelief. Oh, Paul, he he persecuted the church it was always something which obviously played on his mind because he said I'm not even fit to be called an apostle I'm the least why? because he persecuted the church of God but he, he did it ignorantly some of these men over the centuries have done it ignorantly but there are many like our present archbishop and many others who do it out of malice Make sure that the instruments we use in our ministry are those which are sound. The handle won't fly off, the head won't fly off and injure people. It's, a, it's, a, it's something which we all, and I constantly have to think about again and again. The things we say are sound. And now we come to the question I asked you about last week. We looked at the, 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 what we said in relation to the ignorant uh, person, in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, <coughs> who were the inhabitants of these cities that they ran to? Go back to Numbers chapter 35. Numbers 35. And verse 6. And among the cities which ye shall give unto the Levites, there shall be six cities for refuge, which ye shall appoint for the manslayer, that he may flee thither, and to them ye shall add forty-two cities. So the, 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 the Israelites were getting forty-eight cities, the Levites were getting forty-eight cities, and six of those cities were to be cities of refuge and who was responsible for organizing these six cities of refuge the priests and the Levites now that's, that's interesting now if you go to Joshua chapter 20 you see something else about the cities of refuge Joshua chapter 20 tells us these cities were uh, in chapter 20 and and the Lord also spake unto Joshua saying speak to the children of Israel appoint out of you out for you cities of refuge whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses and goes on to explain what they are now if you look at some other it says set apart in 
the New King James Version, it says, set apart six cities. In uh, Derby translation, it says, hollow cities. In other, words, in other words, these cities were to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be set apart as hallowed. They were very special. And what does set apart mean? What does sanctification mean? It's set apart for the work of God. To be separated from the others, from the mundane. These were special set apart cities. They were sanctified for the work of God. Now we've looked over the past weeks about how the priests and the Levites were to be supported. We have that tape which we call a spiritual menu for the, for the priests. They were sustained within those cities by tithes, by offerings, by the first fruits, all those things were given to the Levites in order to be sustained. They lived on those consecrated gifts. And so the refugees, when they came into these cities where they had sought refuge, they were fed on the things of God. That's how, they, that's how they lived. And you know, you and I, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we stop eating spiritually the food outside, the earthly food. Because, as we've said again and again and again, there was nothing in the wilderness to sustain the children of Israel. Only that which God gave. For you and me, there is nothing in this world that we can live on spiritually. But when we come into the city of refuge, when we come to Christ for salvation, then we feed on him, the living bread. You understand? It's a wonderful picture. This whole question of the cities of refuge, it's a wonderful picture of how you and I should live. I'm living on the mountain underneath a cloudless sky. I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply because I'm dwelling in this new land which will go on and on until we retain, obtain our full inheritance which is reserved in heaven for me and we have been given the consolation of the Holy Spirit as our hope as our guarantee that someday we shall dwell eternally in heaven with our Savior I hope that's clear and now we're going to come to the breaking of bread. And thinking of that 
wonderful life that the, the refugee was living in, in the, the city of refuge and thinking in mind that little verse we said I'm living on the mountain underneath a cloudless sky I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry oh yes I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply for I'm dwelling in the city of refuge dwelling in Christ sweet feast of love divine tis grace that makes us free to feed upon this bread and wine in memory Lord of thee here every welcome guest waits Lord from thee to learn the secrets of thy father's breast and all thy grace discern here conscience ends its strife and faith delights to prove the sweetness of the bread of life the fullness of thy love Jesus said I am the bread of life feed on me the blood that flowed for sin in symbol here we see and feel the blessed pledge within that we are loved of thee oh the pledge is the Holy Spirit indwelling us he's got it right this fellow the blood that flowed from sin and symbol here we see and feel the blessed pledge within the comforter his spirit unites with our spirit to show us that we are the children of God that we are loved of thee and he goes on this is nice but oh but if this glimpse of love is so divinely sweet what will it be O Lord above thy gladdening smile to meet to see thee face to face thy perfect likeness wear and all thy ways of wondrous grace through endless years declare and our Lord instituted this simple feast for us to remember him in his death for the bread and for the wine for the pledge that seals him mine for the words of love divine we give thee thanks O Lord only bread and only wine yet to faith the solemn sign of the heavenly and divine we give thee thanks O Lord for the words that turn our eye to the cross of Calvary bidding us in faith draw nigh we give thee thanks O Lord Amen